Today on Inside the Ropes, we're all about winners. We chat to the winners of the Australian Amateur Championship and the winner, would you believe, of the Moona Lynx PGA Classic, Bryden McPherson. And he's good enough to join us in the studio to do it. And you should wait till you hear some of the things he's got to say. Let's go. You're listening to Inside the Ropes, Australia's must-listen-to golf show with exclusive content from both home and abroad. Subscribe through your favourite podcast app or listen at golf.org.au. G'day, everybody. Welcome to the show. It is Inside the Ropes for another week, episode number 195. Yeah, getting there. Oh, Hazy, nice to have you back in the studio. Good to see you, my man. Adelaide treated you well. Thanks, Mario. You are a very close second to being on the fairways of Kuyonga. Explain that to me. Well, I mean, as much as I like being in the studio with yeah, you, yeah. I, I was fairly keen on being at Kuyonga oh, when I last spoke to you. Oh, I think you did. Yeah, well, pretty epic. Epic. Yeah, no, it was good. And obviously we'll speak to a couple of the all the, the two winners, of the uh, girls and the boys, on the way through today, which will be exciting. Can't wait. Yeah, good. Um, heaps to get through. Obviously, it's been another big week in the world of golf. But regular listeners to the show will know that um, we have a... Um, a special interest in Bryden McPherson. He's been a great contributor to the show for a long time now, and he's in Melbourne, and he's in the studio now that we're allowed to get out of lockdown. And what a time to have you back on the show and in the studio with us, Bryden McPherson. Welcome back to Inside the Ropes. Thanks for having me, guys. Um, this is the reborn Bryden McPherson. I don't want to put the cart before the horse, but... Um, how, how positive, congratulations on the win last week. Thank you very much. How positive should we, who are, you know, keen students of you, how excited and positive should we be about what's happened in the last four or five starts for you? Uh, well, I would hope you're as excited as I am. Uh, I'm, you know, obviously very happy to be back. Uh, and at the behest of the PGA, they gave me some starts, which was very generous and I was very grateful. And then, uh, I managed to show that maybe I deserve some some more starts. So, yep. so that, and that was great. I was uh, happy to play all those four weeks and and to play solidly and then to kind of edge out and finish in style was awesome. So before we get too far away from what you've just said, explain the situation that you find yourself in at the moment before we talk about the results and what you've been doing with your game. Yeah. So, um, you know, not looking for any kind of sympathy votes, but for us who are not on any of the major tours in the world, European. Um, Japan, sort of, but even European PGA, Corn Ferry Challenge, less so, but still, uh, we have really been slammed, like most of society has, mm. by the COVID pandemic. So we uh, are sort of forced with lots of different choices. We're kind of, they, in the States, all the guys that would normally travel and play Canada, Latino America, China, Challenge Tour, whatever were no longer able to travel anymore. So they had bottlenecked all of us into a series that, to their credit, the PGA Tour invented out of nowhere, the local IQ series. And Mm -hmm. Monday qualifiers were all of a sudden at an even higher standard than they had been before with less spots because this was the first year that the Corn Ferry had gone to four spots qualifiers instead of six. Okay. So now, you know, you're at events and you're looking around the putting green at all these guys and you're thinking, this is a seriously good Monday qualifier field and then you shoot six under and you just go home Uh, and um, so it wasn't really and there was less money on offer as well obviously because those local IQ events you know even though they managed to throw them together 100,000 US is not a huge purse uh, when you're playing against seriously good players so long story short on that is that you know there was no opportunity for me in the States anymore there was no Q school going to be running you know we couldn't travel anything like that so Looked at my wife, my recent wife of since uh, February last year, 
uh, and say, um, look, let's take a step back from the professional golf side of things and think about if maybe we can adjust our life situation to be something that we enjoy a bit more. And so then um, she's from Hawaii, yep. which is obviously a fantastic place and a great place to live. Uh, and I'm from Melbourne, fantastic place, great place to live. So we had some good choices. Uh, but, you know, we have a public health care system here, so that went, that won out in the end. Uh, mm. And yeah. um, Melbourne also being a little bit of a bigger city, uh, you know, has a bit more opportunity and it's kind of an adventure for her as well. And so we decided middle of last year that we were going to up and move from Florida back to Melbourne. And so mm. we've been going through that process since basically June or May last year. Um, and, yeah, it's a process. She's not here yet. She'll be here mm. in... April, hopefully, and our dogs, hopefully, in July, uh, and <laughs> then it, then we'll be all sorted. Hopefully, just in time to just sail out of this pandemic. Yeah, yeah. So getting the so that's part that's the human life part of it. Getting starts here, even in Australia. Can you expand on that a little bit for us? Yeah. So as I was moving back, I was exploring a few options, exploring options outside of golf, inside of golf, just basically trying to do the. Uh, um, responsible husband thing and yep. uh, try to sort of figure out how we'd be able to pay for food. So uh, <laughs> the um, part of that was, uh, you know, uh, enlisting in the PGA bridging program, which I have done. Uh, and that was part of it. There was also some job interviews going on and all kinds of things. I would basically just, uh, my mantra was create as much opportunity as you can mm. and then whatever and then it's and if you've got too many options then that's a good problem to have yep. and you apologize to the people that you have to say no to and you move on but part of that was getting in touch with Kim Felton and Nick Dasty who are now uh, sort of very much at the helm of the tournament development for the PGA uh, and doing a great job uh, as well um, we've got new events we've mm -hmm. got uh, in my opinion a much more sensible schedule now that will run from September to April uh, that makes sense that you play all summer in the summer of golf instead of having a few weeks, <laughs> random weeks off. Uh, and I think that'll open opportunities. Uh, I think that this is their line as well is open opportunities for uh, working with other tours. Yeah. So I think, I think, I think that'll be really good for Australian golf. I think that'll be, uh, that's the start of something great. Uh, and I've known Nick for a little while, first degree of separation. He used to be the GM at Long Island, right across from Peninsula where yeah. I grew up. So we sort of in the same area. And then I knew Kim, Felton from playing. So I reached out to them and said, hey, is there any chance on these events coming up? I know I'm probably not, you know, that high on your radar at the moment. Uh, and, you know, I don't have as big a name recognition maybe as some other guys, but, you know, I'd appreciate anything you could do. And they said, to my surprise, uh, yeah, sure, you can have a start in Gippsland and you can have a start at the Muna PGA Classic and we'll work on the other ones. Um, and I was, I was gobsmacked uh, by how grateful I was feeling uh, by the generosity that uh, that they yeah. extended to me, yep. I was genuinely surprised, uh, and and I was you know I just put a big smile on my face to know that man maybe the playing stuff isn't over just yet. So, you know, I, I prepared for those events. Uh, we're still exploring other things, and uh, showed up to Gippsland and played solidly, played great in the third day, and then kind of just chipped my way through the match play until Frey's hold like a 40-yard 40, 40 pitch shot on me on the last hole there. Now match. Just went in sideways um, too. So, it was yeah, an unbelievable yeah. shot. Well, yeah. I was there watching and I'm thinking, I know he's really good, but <laughs> there is a chance that he could take three to get down here yes. and I could snag this from him. And uh, that was very quickly. That was uh, an unbelievable made shot. At that yes. point. So, um, yeah, so that was good. And then Rosebud, I played very solidly as well uh, and finished fifth. And 
Um, and then Vic PGA, I guess I had a week off from contention and finished mm. 16th. And then... Uh, <laughs> That's the politest way I've ever heard that put. <laughs> yeah. So... Uh, uh, maybe I needed the break. I don't know. I, I played. I was sort of there or there. But you clearly didn't play poorly there. Like you, you know. No, I didn't. Honestly, yeah. I was. I played solidly the first round, and then I was playing really well in the second round with our delays, and then it was just kind of like someone had handed me like a kind of a I don't know like a baby, and I'm just like, oh my god, I don't want this, and so I just made like uh, it made some double bogeys or something to try and finish the second round, and then just didn't play great in the weekend. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah, and then obviously last week, uh, week before last, whenever it was, lockdowns throwing me off. But yeah, uh, like the uh, Muna, the new event at Muna, which you know they were great to to put on that event for us. Muna links to host it and all that, and throw us right back in. And we played six rounds on the open course in seven days. Uh, well, actually, in six days um, because we did played thirty six on the last day. But uh, it was awesome. It was it was a really cool experience, and, and I really like the golf course. People yeah, I know oh, it's funny, isn't like, it? Yeah, I do yeah. too. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. When, you've, you've got to see it through the context of what it was designed to be. Mm. You know, a tough golf course that can play brutal in any wind direction. Mm. That's a really hard brief. Uh, and, you know, then you understand how good Tomo was with his driver and his three-wood, and then you understand why these gaps are so small, because he would have looked at it and gone, there's loads of room there. Exactly. Like 12 yards of room there. What are you complaining about? And, yeah, I mean, I think it's underrated and overhated. That golf course. You know, there's, there's, like, an, there's the name of today's yeah. episode, I reckon. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, can I ask, like, there's a great story that Tony Weebeck did on you there when you won the the, the Moona Lynx PGA Classic, mm-hmm, I think it mm-hmm. was called. You've won in so many places, but here it is, like two minutes up the road from where you were, yeah. you, know, you grew up. Yeah. You finally win at home. How does that feel? Like it must be... Full circle, an unbelievable feeling. Full circle is a good way to describe it. Um, it was, you know, I, I had been going down to Moon Link since I was a kid. I grew up like in sort of Summers, Balnaring, Hastings area. And so down the peninsula where all the golf courses were was, was huge. And I, I won my first big amateur event at the Dunes right next to Moon Links. Uh, and so to kind of have like a nice professional win there as well is, is really cool. And as you said, to... You know, I feel like golfers kind of fall into one of three categories, pro golfers. There are the guys that can win away from home only, guys <laughs> that can win at home only, and guys that can win anywhere. And that's certainly not me, that last one, because I've won in China and I've won in, I've won mini tours in the States, but I've won, and I've won now in Australia. But um, it's just kind of, it's nice that no one can say that you can't win at home. Yeah, mm. which is a sort of a criticism that gets thrown at some guys and that you can only win when you're away or some guys say you can only win at home. I say, well, now I have a good rebuttal to that. But, uh, <laughs> it, but it was really cool to, uh, to end up um, winning that event at Moona. And uh, I just, yeah, like I said, I like the golf course. I like the, the way it makes you play. And uh, I had thought it would suit my game coming into it. So. so you and I had a chat late last year, after you, not long after you got home probably. Mm-hmm. And you were telling me I'd love you to explain more about this because you've been working, as we expressed last time you're on, with, with Brad Hughes. But you've mm-hmm. become, I don't want to say somewhat of a disciple, but let's go with that for a little while Disciple's here while a good we ask about it. Yeah, yeah I mean, right. he's changed your world, hasn't he? He sure has. Yeah, I think Hugo has, uh, has created somewhat of a paradigm shift in coaching. Um, you know, I, you don't want to go. Not just for you, not for, for me, you, but yeah, for yeah, coaching in yeah, general. Yeah. This uh, is this is big end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think he's. Uh, you know, the combination of someone who is not just a, was a good player, um, but also 
fairly recently was a good player and played in the modern era, played against Tiger on the tour with those guys and was sort of unarguably one of the best ball strikers around. Mm. Um, I'm big on people sticking to what they know. Uh, you know, I think it's great that Hugo's teaching some of the kids putting and chipping and stuff like that, but I'm not taking lessons from him on that. But I'm learning from the, I'm learning about the thing that he is the expert at. Um, I get putting lessons from David Orr, who is the putting guru. And so the uh, Hugo has sort of taken coaching and sort of grabbed it out of the theoretical realm, pulled it back from all of the BS that comes from just worrying about what things are supposed to be like. And he's then just brought it all back down to earth and said, I'm just going to teach you the fundamentals of how to flush a golf shot and then you can figure out the rest. This is how you might want to do this or you might want to do that. And But the rest of it is just up to you. So, And he, he has gone through and looked, you know, albeit sort of semi-unscientifically with 2D video, but still you can notice patterns. And he's gone through with like all the great ball strikers in history before equipment came in and kind of muddled things up a little bit because mm -hmm. equipment sort of before the mid-90s was fairly standardized. Guys used basically the same golf ball. They all used steel shafts. They all used persimmons. They all used blades for the most part. And so for 60 years there, it would hold that the what it takes to hit pure golf shots would be fairly similar. Mm, mm, makes right? sense. Because right, the yeah. gear is standardized yep. and they're all using the same physics. No one gets to have less gravity than someone else. And and so the methods that they use to hit pure golf shots like Nicholas and Palmer and Mo Norman and Ben Hogan and Sam Snead and Lee Trevino and um, Greg Norman and all these guys, those methods have to be fairly similar because the gear was all basically similar. Mm. So what Hugo said, he goes, well, you set your gear up to be similar to that and then you work on those things and then you just go play golf. And so now I can go and play 72 holes and not think about anything too complicated, can think about one thing for 72 holes and I can actually legitimately... It's, cause it's nice to be able to say I'm going to go play a tournament and just think about hitting golf shots. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. a great thing to say, but to actually be able to do it is is um, and to teach someone how to do it is a paradigm shift, I think. So you've been you're thirty years old. You've been playing golf for twenty at least. Yeah, nineteen. Nineteen. Yep. Won a British Amateur. Played the Masters. Won tournaments all around the world. We can say now. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> we can. We can. It's nice to think. It's a nice thing to say, mate. You're finally flushing the ball. Yeah, I yeah. think that's. I think that's incredible because. So I was going to ask whether this was whether something's awakened inside that you that you thought you might have lost, or whether you've discovered something brand new. I think there's a there's a hint of rediscovery about it. Uh, from when I was a kid, I used to be a, I was a really good ball striker for my age when I was sort of thirteen, fourteen. I used to hit the ball pretty far, um, and I used to have this big kind of lateral move, loads of kind of long swing, and load the club a whole lot, and then just rip it. Um, you know, what you want to do when you're 13. <laughs> and so, and then I, I sort of got, um, by sort of the whole system, got kind of corralled into worrying about control and swing planes and how far do you take it back and and what's your, <laughs> and, and, you know, after impact doesn't matter. That's the biggest one. But, uh, and it just, it kind of stifled me. You know, I used a, I used a bit of an analogy that um, it's like, it's a terrible analogy, but 
it's a little bit mean, but it's like, you know, those things that you put over candles that like slowly suffocate the yeah, candle, yeah. put it out. Yep. Kind of like that. It's like sucking <laughs> so, all the oxygen, all uh, taking all your air right. Yeah. yeah. And, and so I became careful, you know, and I mm. became worried about hitting bad shots and, and, you know, and that's partly as well because of my personality, mm. but I also have a personality trait where I'll just sort of just jump in and go for it as well. So uh, now I'm sort of able to kind of stick to more of that when I play. Um, not worry about things don't get in the way as much uh, because I'm just focused on simple things. I'm focused on connecting to the ground and using like forces and feeling what it feels like in the shaft of the of the club. I can go, I can be not hitting the ball how I want to and think about hitting the next shot in a tournament and thinking about the amount of force and flex and stuff I'm putting in the shaft. I mean, this is a really cool way to play Yeah, golf. yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, that's like, and... It's like I said, this, we all use the same physics, right? So we can all use the same methods and get the same results. So is it too simple to say that he works with what you have naturally, but within the parameters of that, he encourages you to find the feel and the and that thing? Is that is that yeah, so, simply a way so of putting he, it? So he'll say it's like this. So he'll say, okay, this is the only way that you're able to hit high-quality golf shots regularly, which is true. You can't hit high golf shots regularly just by, not to get too technical, but just by releasing your body from the top of your swing. You have to use your arms and your body together. And as soon as you can take that, leap of faith into thinking that oh, I don't just have to spin my hips from the top of my swing yeah, yeah, just, yeah. just yep. because Dustin Johnson does it. Uh, once you can learn about just the fundamentals about how to sequence your arms and body, then all it is from there is just about discovering how you do that. So he talks about the backswing as if it doesn't matter and I agree <laughs> with him uh, because there are about five or six different backswings that great players have used but they all find the same position coming into just before impact. And that's because that's the only way to do it. But that's th that's the difference, is that instead of teaching someone that this is the only backswing that matters, you teach them that this is the only way to hit a golf shot. And you yeah. show them what it feels yeah, like. Right. You get them feeling all of the different sensations. And then they get to pick which part of it they actually like, and that's what they stick with. So can you teach Andy to flush a ball? Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Yeah. No, no, no. Good, no, good luck. No. There are some bridges that are too far, right? <laughs> so I just I warn you here. But but no. I, 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 without knowing what you know, like, and some of us won't ever be able to do what you do, but it makes sense to me. I, I've, I follow him on Twitter, and you get, a, you get a snapshot of his principles. I think he's fascinating. I, yeah. I love what he gives us in very small doses, and I, I can only imagine – when you work with him, you know, in a more concentrated environment like you are, it must be it must be a really interesting process to go through. Yeah, it is. I mean, I've known Hugo for a while, but th this is the other thing around it. I think there's a lot of kind of uh, hype around what something like that would look like. You know, you think that it's oh well, I got to get in there and we'll spend sort of three hours like going down all all these rabbit holes and breaking down all these little bits, and, it, and it's like. <laughs> No, uh, I've seen him four times since I started working with him yep. 18 months ago. And three of those times were in the first six months. And the last time I saw him was in April, uh, just as our lockdown in Florida ended, I went up and saw him. And 
when I went up in April, I'd been doing dry drills for a month. So I'd hit a ball. I'd just been doing the dry drills for 30, 40 minutes every day. And my swing changed completely wow. from not hitting a single ball. And I was able to, you know, not to overuse the term, but I was able to flush my first shot back because of what I'd done with the dry drills. So Can you remember that being a moment? Can you remember going, oh, well, I can, can you remember see, that? I remember I, I called my wife because I was like, I was, I was on the range and I, and I was nervous about whether or not the dry drills had worked because <laughs> I thought they feel like they're working. And then I, the first shot I hit was just this little eight iron. I just hit it. It's the most flush shot I've, I'd hit up until that point basically in my life. And I thought, <laughs> that's, that's so cool. That's, so, like, that's yeah. so cool. But again, it that time when I went and saw him, he watched me hit three shots and he said, okay, cool, done. What do you want to do now? And, and that's because, and that's not because I'm like anything special. It's just because I had stuck to the principles and that's all you need to do. Mm. You don't need to do anything else. So you could go on from here and take this win and, you know, turn it into something completely different to where you thought your life was going three or four months ago. Will you still, and I hope you do. Yeah, me too. (laughs) (laughs) Will, Will you still want to do the bridging course and want to be able to impart this knowledge to other people, et cetera. Absolutely, because I think it's very important that uh, that there needs to be a paradigm shift here in Australia as far as the coaching stuff goes, Because, and it needs to be from both sides. So the players, ex-players, current players, are guilty of coming in and assuming that they know everything. And discrediting the time that the PGA members have spent doing their training. Mm -hmm. That definitely happens. And the PGA members are guilty of thinking that the players are just coming in and that they should have, and they shouldn't be able to do anything because they haven't done the training and they have done the training. So what needs to happen is the guys from the PGA who have done the training, um, who haven't been out competing, need to understand that the players have a special knowledge set that can be useful and if they learn from them then they can increase their own knowledge set and be better for the game and at the same time the players need to understand that the PGA members have a life and a family and an income based around what they do and it's not fair for the players to come in and take that from them and it should be somewhere in the middle like most things in life that People should realize that both sides of that have something to offer. And the bridging is a good go at that. Um, and But I think the coaching needs to be expanded down here. It's, it's not to say that the coaches down here aren't good. It's just to say that they're very monolithic in their thinking. So there's, a, there's sort of basically only really one way that guys get taught down here. Um, well, basically, there's really only two ways. There's the way that they get taught, and then there's Gary Barter's way. So that's, Gaz kind of teaches in a very different way, and it works because all of his guys are flushes. So, is it? But there needs to be more like that. There needs to be a kid who thinks, "Oh, I don't really want to go up to Sydney to see Gaz, and I'm not really happy with my coaching. Uh, I need an option. Like he needs something else. Mm. They need something else to do, and they need someone who can give them a simple and total, totally comprehensive way to learn how to play golf in six weeks, which is." totally possible. It's really interesting, Andy, because if you, if you look around, and it's true in most sports, I think, the people who have slightly odd techniques that they master, and I mean odd not in only in the 
term of traditional in mm. whatever sport it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Not, not textbook. Yeah, not not textbook. Yeah, yeah. You know, Matt Wolf, Dustin Johnson, God, the list is endless. Mm, mm. They're really, really good. You'd never teach anyone to do that. Jim that Furyk's still going, no, right? Well, that, well yeah. that's right. Well, that's, that's the thing as well is that golf is not about, like, perfecting some theory. It's about perfecting playing golf. And when you play golf, it makes a lot of sense to know that only half of the golf course is in play, that you have a tendency to hit a shot a certain way and that you're not going out there not guessing and guessing which way the ball's going to go. That's that's like the curse that Adam Scott fights is because his swing is so pure and so on plane. When he has his bad ball striking days, he doesn't know where it's going because the only variation is face. Mm-hmm. So as everyone looks at his swing and goes, oh, how do you ever hit it offline? Well, it's like, well, well, I can look at it and go, you know, when you're not hitting it pure, all you can do is hit it offline. Mm. So, yeah. but, but that's his curse. People don't look at it. So they look at someone like Matt Wolf, who has, you know, he's never taken it inside in his life mm-hmm. on the way back. And he knows that he can't do that. So that means that that's a whole set of swing principles that he never has to deal with. Right? Yeah. So he's only ever finding his thing. I, I think about it like, an F1 car because, you know, and I'll show my lack of F1 knowledge by explaining (laughs) this, but the F1 cars drive on slicks because they can go faster. And the way that they can go around corners is they have to go a certain speed around the corner to create the downforce to keep them on the ground. So they're always approaching max speed for taking a corner. They're always trying to, they're never thinking about going too fast around a corner. They're always trying to push right up to that, rev it right up to that number. So it's the same thing with golf. If you have a tendency, so for me, my tendency is the ball goes right. So all I'm ever doing is trying to go faster to bring it back online. And that's a great way to play golf. And it, it works the other way as well. Sounds like Murray Walker compared to me, Andy. It does. Hey, let's get a break. There's a heap of other stuff. Uh, we could keep going and forget that we have to do the rest of the show. Yep. You're going to stick around for the whole show, absolutely. which is absolutely fantastic. There's more things to talk to you about, and we'll thread them in uh, through a few other different parts of the conversation we're going to have today. Uh, you're listening to Inside the Robes. Brian McPherson, our special co-host today. Uh, back with more after this. Let's go back inside the ropes with Golf Australia. Welcome back to the show. Brian McPherson, our special co-host today. Um there's a bit of other bits and pieces to talk about. How do you feel when you watch a bloke? Everyone in golf was, I think, feeling for Nate Lashley this week. Mm-hmm. Huge moment presents itself to him at Pebble. Mm-hmm. Arguably the biggest moment of his golfing life. He's won, you know, a lot. In, he's won on the PJ Tour. He, yeah. He's won, right? Yeah. So he's a, But this is his moment. And he four putts 15 from 12 feet. He has three putts from three feet. Um, gone, walks off, you know, hacks at the green, frustrated. You could see the internal despair that he was feeling. As a fellow pro, what do you what do you think when you see someone go through that? Yeah, I mean, we've all been at some level or, or some high level or not uh, through something like that. Uh, and it's, I mean... You never want to say, oh, I hope, no one wants to see people mm. go through that. Um, even if those are the guys that you're chasing, I hope that no one's ever thinking, oh, you know. Mod four punt. Yeah, yeah. I, don't, I, hope, I hope not. Uh, um, maybe from 100 feet at St. Andrews, but that's maybe about it. But, uh, 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's brutal. I mean, Nate's also been through so much from a personal side as well that you really feel for him. He's a real people's hero. Yeah, right. And, uh, so I think that the um, – and he's a journeyman. He's been out there. You know, he sort of gave it away 10 years ago, yeah, didn't he? Yeah, he's kind of in his mid, mid, mid late 30s. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's terrible, but that's how golf tournaments go. Mm. You know? I mean, there, there's probably some guy that – Four putted in the first round that wasn't on TV. Yep, um, and just unfortunate that that comes along at that time. Yeah, can I can I just put the crosshairs on Bambi? Go on. I think what he did after his fourth putt was a disgrace. It was it was actually horrific, and he's lucky there was no one coming up behind him, and he's lucky he's got away with it. I reckon. I don't know what he's if he's had to uh-huh. if there's been a little fine issue or not, but it was it was really poor. It was a poor way to react to it. I couldn't agree with you more. I just. He has to be better than that. Mm. And uh, with all application of all rules in golf, mm. it's not about you. It's about what's the optics, but more what's around for the field, the rest of the field. Mm. If he did that and someone had to putt over no, and across the championship, yep. that's a disgrace. Yep. It, I feel sorry for him what happened, but it's also symptomatic, just changing tack here, of, of the defense of some of those holes now that their short irons in are really – that's a really small green, by the way, is how fast it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's crazy fast. Mm. Like, it was super fast, that green. Mm. And that's a tough pin at the best of time. So I feel for him in that respect, but I've got no time for, you know, damaging greens. No, nah, sport needs to be better than that, I reckon. You know, we saw, you know, the Australian Open's going on. We're recording this on, what day is it, Thursday? Yeah. We're recording this on Thursday morning, afternoon now. Um, and two nights ago, we saw Novak Djokovic pound the living daylights out of the baseline and with only one intent. Mm-hmm. That was to smash his racket. So, you know, there's a couple of sports that probably in the uh, in the overarching, you know, kind of view of world sport have probably been pretty friendly to their participants. Tennis is probably one of them. And I think golf, I don't know whether you agree with this, but golf does feel, particularly in America, golf feels like it's pretty generous in terms of what it'll let its players get away with. We, we spoke at length on this show a couple of weeks ago about you know, Paddy Reid's latest mm. moment. Cam Percy was magnificent in what he did on social <laughs> media a couple of days after. But, but that that's a view, I reckon. And yeah. I, th- I think we could probably they could probably just stretch their way through that to be a bit harsher when players Yeah, well, I think, I think golf just generally has more of a focus on etiquette than a lot of other sports mm. anyway. So that might be part of the reason why we're having the conversation in the first Maybe place. Maybe so, uh, yeah. It's but, a fair point. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. I have sympathy just because I haven't always been perfect, especially when you're so highly strung in a situation like Nate was in. Uh, you know, it's all of your energy is focused on not falling over when you're walking and focusing on hitting your next golf shot where you want to hit it to. And there's so much on the line in a situation like that that, you know, basically all other considerations just go out the window. Uh, And whether that's on purpose or not, it's just kind of the reality of what happens. And ideally, in in an ideal world, like, people behave perfectly all the time. Um, You know, I, I would personally not have... A massive issue with someone acting out if they apologize for it, if it is bad, like it was bad. I'm not saying I'm not like obviously not condoning it, but it's um, it's like it's more understandable to me. Like it doesn't surprise me that someone would act like that, mm. but it, but I can still say you probably shouldn't act like that. 
but I can understand why. I'd rather see him snap his four iron or, or, or dent his bag. So would the yeah, fans, actually. Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> the fans would probably rather see. Yeah, like Hen- Henrik Stenson, you know, is, is pretty famous now for however many open championships he's snapped a club at or something. So, yeah. Um, and I get I what you're saying. Yeah, it's the a ten- good point. The tension is there, but you, you cannot in any sport do something, or in life. No. In life, more importantly. Do something that impacts those around you. Yeah, yeah. He yeah. very much could have directed his anger towards something that was his. That was his, Correct. exactly. Yeah, <laughs> in, yeah. instead yeah. of the so, the so beach. In his mind, as a again asking you to sort of walk in his shoes for a moment, but in his mind, I don't know what he made. He finished tied fifth, so I don't know what he pocketed. I mean, it would have been a healthy check. He's going to yeah. walk away with some fifty grand. Yeah. So at any stage in the yeah. aftermath, does he content himself with a huge check? Or does he? Will he linger in what he had and what that would have given him had he been able to close the thing out? Where, where does he? How does he assess that? It very much depends on the person. Yeah, right. It very much depends on how much money he already has. Mm. Uh, how much of a whether it's a drop or a slop in the bucket for him. Mm. Um, that would be significant for him, though. I imagine. I, I mean, I, I think most guys on tour, two hundred fifty grand ish. I don't quote me on that number, but is significant. I would yeah. hope most people that's a significant amount. Um, yeah. And so, you know, I, I'm sure that there's a there's a level at which he's contenting himself. But I mean, he's a fully exempt player, so he's not looking to, uh, you know, make his way into the next tournament. Mm. You know, so uh, he would be concerned with winning golf tournaments, I would imagine. And so he would be um, contenting himself for a moment, saying, "Oh, this is nice." I mean, but then made this he's money, still but be then kicking. Like, yeah, he's sure. Like, he's like, "What were you thinking?" Yeah. You know. So 301,000 US. There you go. There you go. I'm glad to be on the under. Yeah, yeah. You're nothing to sneeze at. Um, so from a local perspective, four Calif- rounds. California tax, though, so lost a whole bunch there. There you go. This yeah. is fascinating to me what goes over on in that country. Um, Jason Day, four rounds in the 60s. We haven't seen that for a while, and there were some concerns. Now, he's not back, and I want to talk about, talk about Jordan Spieth in a moment as well, but there's a bit to... There was a, there was something familiar about the way Day played this tournament. He didn't make the putts, and, we've, and that that can happen any given time to any given player. Mm-hmm. But, it, but the way he got his golf ball around the course, and the way he kind of moved into shots and played the shots, and the way he's hitting is getting knocking it near the pin. And there was a lot. There was a bit to like about Day in this tournament. I I, I don't want to go back to Formula One again, but <laughs> he's starting to get to the point. I think visibly where he can go at shots again. Mm, it looked that way, yeah, yeah. Which is what Brian was talking about before because there was a, a long period when he's trying not to blow a back or, you know, mm. suffer vertigo or whatever his mm. ailment was for the week. I reckon he's not quite up to capacity of what he will be again, but you can sh- you can see signs mm. that he's starting to feel comfortable with what he's rocking with now. Yeah. Does feel, that make yeah. sense? And it does. It looked, that's what he looked like on... They show the the you know the the little bit of Jason Day we got to see in the coverage. Mm. It, it looked like that. It looked a very it looked Jason Day five years ago. He just looked comfortable. He did, like, yeah, he, yeah. Sort of finding his rhythm a little bit. Mm. He's not about to sort of Bruce Reed and no fall apart. No, he wasn't getting other people to pull the ball out of the hole for him Correct. and that sort of thing. Yeah. So Speed finishes tied for third. There's a lot been spoken about him in the last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Shambly two weeks ago says he's on the verge of golfing oblivion before he finished top five in the start previously. He goes in with a two-shot lead, doesn't get the job done. Uh, I don't know whether you two have – have, I'm no student of numbers and stuff, but his inability to find fairways at the moment and miss at both sides 
is extraordinary. He's conceding so many shots to the field off the tee and with driving um, accuracy and greens in regulation. The pressure that's putting on his short game, we know how good that is, is extraordinary. Is it sustainable? No. Uh, There's three areas of the game that win golf tournaments. There's driving, approach shots, and putting. Right. That's it. Yep. So... Those are the three areas that have the largest impact on scoring. So when Jordan was playing his, his best, you know, he was hitting the ball mostly in play. He's never been a long hitter. Mostly in play. Yep. Uh, and his approach shots were really good, and they got even better when you got into his wedge game. And then he was putting the lights out. Mm. When he was... he, I think he led both statistics of um, percentage made... No, proximity to hole... Proximity. Proximity to hole in a certain thing, but also a percentage of putts that got past the hole. Right. So he's hitting basically every putt with perfect pace, which is why he won. He why he holds so many putts. Um, and so when you got those three firing, then you can win everything. It's one of the reasons why Tiger won so much. Um, people love to focus on his short game, but he was such a good iron player that he didn't miss that many greens. So, um, you know, if you've got one of those three. That aren't that are holding you back. You will not win golf tournaments. It's just that simple. Yeah, yeah. Like, and, and, you know. he, and his numbers are awful. Like his numbers off the tee, ninety uh, fifth distance, two hundred twenty ninth driving accuracy, two hundred first greens in regulation. I mean, these are the numbers of a bloke who's struggling to hang on to his card. Yeah, well, or just someone that's not on the tour because of their ball strike. Yeah, there you go. And yep. and like and that's. You know, the big difference for Jordan was that when he was playing, when he was winning everything, he was hitting the ball where he wanted to most of the time and then holding putts, you know, at just a rate that most tour players couldn't expect to. And when you get those together, you play really good golf. And he could still win tournaments by putting not as well as he had, approaching it as well as he had, and then somehow gaining 30 yards. He would also win tournaments doing that too. Mm -hmm. So... These three things have a relationship, and like they are what you should be worried about. Mm. It was the reason why when I played Corn Ferry, I had never sniffed contention for anything longer than about six holes because I was missing the approach part. Right. So I drove the ball pretty well, far enough and pretty accurately, and I putted great, but I didn't have the approach thing. So that's why I was out there scratching my head, like, why can't I compete? So you've got to have all those three firing, and you know, just holding putts is not enough. Just driving it great is not enough. Just striking it good is not enough. Mm. So um, you've got to have all three. I, I who knows where he goes because his accuracy could click again. And as as Bryden says, he'll, he'll, start be, he'll be fine because the rest of the game looks immaculate. As we saw with that iron for the eagle on mm-hmm. on the sixteenth, that was unbelievable. Just a brilliant, brilliant golf shot. Um, but from the limited exposure I've had to him live, which is predominantly at the Australian yep, Open. Yep. He's a massive grinder. He's a fighter, isn't he? Yeah, oh, he is. He, he, he does fight. He, he's yep. not there to do sightseeing, etc. No. And, and he will go and work um, for hours and hours and hours on end, before, after, where, yep. whenever. He'll just go and grind. And I, I, I doubt about something being wrong because he wouldn't have left any stone unturned. Mm. You know, it's not like, oh, I'm my... Or he's my turning ro- over the wrong stones. Yeah, which is a which is a something that grinders fall into, is they get bored, and they try and search for things to fix things that don't need to be fixed. What did you call it? 
Turning over the what? Turning over the wrong stone. I was saying he left no stone unturned. Oh, I beg your pardon, right? Yeah. 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 So, yeah. So, I mean, some you don't need to turn over all the stones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, let's get a break out of the way. We're going to catch up with two people who were turning over the right stones last weekend. Uh, the two Australian amateur champions are going to join us for a chat on Inside the Ropes after this. Let's go back Inside the Ropes with Golf Australia. So how good was the Australian amateur last week? Epic. Yep. Yeah, really good. That good, um, was it? Yeah, it really yeah. was. The course, the Kuyonga setup was unbelievable. The facilities, the, the layout, the way it was presented by the ground staff, um, just world-class generally. And there was a, a large collection of amateurs, both on the men's and women's side, uh, who may or may not have turned pro had things been different in the world. Yeah, right. And I think it presented a great chance for a bit of a shootout among a handful of players. And Everyone's had their opinion. We've all spoken about the match play versus stroke play. Um, I know one person who really loved the stroke play concept, Andy. We're about to talk to her, but it it, it provided two outstanding winners yep. and some really good people uh, breathing down their neck as yep. well. Yep. So, you know, on face value, that's what you're really looking for here. So I'll catch up with both. I'm Louis Doblar's not too far away from joining us, but Grace Kim is first cab off the rank. She won the girl, the women's um, am at Kuyonga. Um in amongst winning a whole lot of tournaments to this early point of your life, Grace. Congratulations. Welcome to the show. I imagine this is a pretty special victory for you. Yeah, thanks, guys. Um, yeah, absolutely. Like, having your own country's amateur status, or like, it's just, I, I think it's just a huge deal. I, I, Andy, I had the good fortune, obviously, to talk to Grace a lot last week in Adelaide. And one of the things, Grace, when I was yucking away with you and we did the last interview or, or your, your, your video after you won, basically, and I said to you, what does it feel like to stand in the country knowing that you are the best amateur player on this bit of land? <laughs> and, and I don't think it really hit home to you when I did. Your eyes sort of, you know, went wide open and had a big think about it. Has it crossed your mind what that actually means right now? Yeah, I mean, like... Every time I'm up at the club, everyone's congratulating me, and all I'm saying is like thank yous and thank yous, and so like I, I just yeah, it's just yeah, I, I, I don't know what to say. <laughs> did you spend some time looking at the other names on the trophy? I did. I actually went on the website as well just to see who's won it, um, and some good names on it, and I'm glad I'm part of that now. <laughs> That's the thing. You can't take it away, Andy. I mean, mm. there are people here who will turn pro who didn't get that. They'll never get no, that chance. No, that's their chance gone. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. I would expect that Jack Thompson might be chief among them. You know, he had, he had a big chance at, at goes. But forevermore, Grace, that's going to be on your resume and something you can look back fondly on. It gets your starts in the Women's Australian Open. Fingers crossed it all comes together. Um, mm-hmm. But it gives you a real shot in the arm with what's coming up for you, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I thought... Well, I still think that it was a great stepping stone um, for my path this year, especially, um, you know, trying to turn pro by the end of the year and just giving that big confidence booster was key. So I really enjoyed it. So, Andy, I'm yeah. going to ask her a question again because yeah. I want her to explain this to other people. I asked Grace what clicks in her mind. She had six birdies in eight holes. And blew it apart. It had been a great shootout between her and Kirsten Rudgley, uh, High End Park, and also Hallie Me- Meburn. Mm. Grace stood basically at the turn, the last nine holes, had six birdies in eight holes. Grace, what happens in your mind 
when you go nuts on a golf course like that? <laughs> um, well, I know that my stroke is good enough to hold putts, and obviously as one goes in, you get your confidence back up. Um, and I said to Hazy last week by the end of it that I just see lines of the putts. I'm very linear with my putting, so it's not like I really see – I do see like a – like a breaking putt or like the the, the like the slope of the putt, um, but mine's more to a certain point. I draw the line there and then obviously let the break, um, let the slope of the greens work to the hole. And yeah, it really worked out well then. Have you always had that, or, or is that something that you've worked on with a coach? I think I've always had it, but I never really realised how linear were my. That my reading skills were, um, and I only got told that by Khan, my coach Khan Pullen from New South Wales, about like mid last year. Um, just really clicked to me then. I was like, oh, like wow, I'm really seeing straight lines, which I do. Um, I mean, it works for me. It doesn't work for all people, but I, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm more confident with seeing just straight lines. How does, that, how does that sit in your mind, Bryden? It's definitely one of the ways that people read parts. It's it's pretty instinctual. You know, you'll be seeing a spot and just at a, as a start line and then it just rolls off that start line and goes in. Is that right, Grace? Yeah, absolutely. So, like, um, I'd imagine a dot, depending on the break and all, if it's a left-to-right breaker, then obviously I'd have a dot either... If it's a downhill part, then I have the dot further forward of the cup and make sure, like, imagine that as my cup and then, yeah... Work with it's that, like playing really. Playing Tiger Woods, yeah, exactly. Like playing Tiger Woods on the PlayStation. So do you read? Oh, there you, do you go. Is it all? Is it all your own eye, or do you read a book? Uh, uh, there's there's so much sort of chat around the world of golf now about you know the the assistance that players have in terms of being able to read greens. Are you? Do you rely on that, or are you very much uh, work it out yourself? Um. I do tend to keep notes on my yardage book when I do play practice rounds and I like sort of draw like curves of where the putt breaks and all. But at the end of the day, it's basically what I feel is right and what I see. I might have just lost my theory. Yeah, we've got you back. Um, yeah, keep, yeah, keep going. Oh, and like I use my feet sometimes if I'm really stuck, just working whether what what side of my feet is lower. So um, I do tend to look at look back at my yardage book for a backup, but basically I just go with my gut feels on the day. And when you play a course that you haven't played much at before, we're going to get to Louis in a moment, but when you're playing a course that you haven't spent a lot of time on, do you pick this stuff up, you know, different grasses, you know, different, you know, different whatevers. Do you, do you pick this stuff up pretty quickly as a rule? Um, yeah, with grasses and like grains, it does tend for me to take longer to adjust to, but I do like get aware aware of it really quickly. Like even with Kionga, I, I notice the firmness of the greens and how the ball reacts when the ball lands on the green. So yeah, I think that was how, that was one of the aspects of why I won. Like I just got, like I just knew it quickly, like, and I worked with it. Um, with grains, I've still got to work harder on it because I'm not that confident on it. But, yeah, I just notice them really quickly, sort of, and, I'll, like, adjust to it. Now, Andy, I just before we let Grace go and talk to Louie, yeah, yeah. I'll talk about maybe the other place getters, et cetera, later on. Later on, yep, yep. I just want to put on the record for you that Grace 
I reckon had it in her mind. I'm going to just jump in your brain here a second for a second, Grace. But had it in her mind yep. that it was a done, a done deal on the 18th green. So she had a bit of trouble. <laughs> ended ended up having, um, well, let's just say four putts from just off the green. <laughs> um, before that, and that was a total relaxed thing in my mind. 66 mm-hmm. was on the cards, Andy, yeah. at Kuyonga yeah. on a bouncy final hard round, yeah. Kuyonga in the final round of the national championship. That's what we're talking about here. Mm. And it's pretty good. That's yeah, really good, Grace. I was so proud to watch you play and, and the way you put your foot Thank down, you. really, really impressive. So, Grace, Thank what you, comes guys. what comes next? What's the what is it now? It's the, getting close to the end of Feb, two thousand and twenty-one. By the end of by the end of the year, where are we at? Well, hopefully, I'll be having my LPGA tour card then. If not, um, hope maybe the semester tour. We'll see then. But um, at the moment, I've. A month or so till Augusta. So, yeah, time's coming real quick. Well, in 100 years' time when um, a kid wins her national title here in Australia and she goes on the internet to look back at past winners, she's going to see your name uh, on that list, mate. So that's yeah. there forever. Irrespective of what comes next, that you, no one will ever take that away from you. So oh, well done. You. Good on you. Thank you so much. Thanks, Grace. Grace Kim wins the women's. National amateur title um, at the same time, Lou Dobler was getting the job done against a very, very strong male. Yeah, I mean, you know how strong the, the, the boys' side of this was. Yeah, it really was. And, and Louis started the final round in the final group, but five shots behind Jack Thompson. <laughs> and uh, this was as much testament to Louis' play. He was the only person all week to shoot four rounds under par, Andy. Yeah. So that speaks volumes. But it was, this was as much of a mental victory as anything because he had to conquer everything that was going on around the, the, the big leader. Well, he joins us, and it would be fascinating to find out you know, what the game plan was like. Louis, thanks for joining us on the show, mate. We really appreciate it, and congratulations on, you know, as Hazy's just outlined, was a really extraordinary performance by you, particularly on that last day. Well done. Thanks, boys. Thanks for having me. What were you thinking? Five back, you know, going into the last round. What, 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 what was your strategy going into that last round? Um, honestly, nothing really changed the whole week. There was during that final round. I, I don't know. I just gave myself lots of opportunities, and I just think that was able to put a little bit of pressure on, you know, the boys around. But um, nothing really changed. I just kind of got hot and was able to keep my head cool. Did you feel comfortable on that course? It can be tricky for some. Did you feel like that layout suited you? I think it did. I like. Uh, I kind of. I feel like I just adapted really well. Um, now I played a few different courses in the last few months. So playing on a on a firm golf course where wind and rain and all that's an element is probably something a bit different for us, being from Queensland. Um, but um, no, it was it was good fun. I feel like you know the co- the work I did with my coach Grant in the preparation, you know, I was able to adapt pretty quick. Andy, the course was um, very scorable first thing out Tuesday morning, mm. and progressively as the tournament went on, and this is what I want to ask you, Louis, in a second, it got harder and it got bouncier. It wasn't smoking hot by Adelaide standards at all, but it was warm enough through the day that it it got bouncy and got very hard. Louis, do you think your ability to adapt to different courses, you, you've won in New Zealand, you've won in most most states around Australia now, do you think that's the big key to um, not only being a successful amateur but taking the next step up to be a pro and adapt to different courses each week? 
Yeah, I mean, as much as as much as you'd like to be great at one place, I think you need to be able to adapt everywhere. And you know, the goal in my career is to be able to play somewhere for for every week of the year, and you're almost never going to get two of the same in a row. So, oh yeah, I feel like the quicker you adapt, I guess the the more solid of a year you'll have. Okay, so now Andy, um, it folded unfolded pretty well for Louis early. Yeah. There were three bogeys off the stick of Jack Thompson in yep. the first three holes. And they came to the fourth hole, which is a big over-the-hill par four. And Louis blocked his drive right, dumped his second in the front bunker and the pin's at the back and it's a brutal green. Louis, how important was your ability there to get up and down from a ridiculous spot, especially with a 12-foot curling downhill putt, to keep that hammer on, on Jack? Yeah, I'm not going to lie. It was pretty important. Um, the way my caddy will put it to me was if I got it up and down, he'd buy me a six-pack of beers. So that was, <laughs> that was on my mind as well. Um, but no, for the whole momentum of the, of the tournament, it was, it was pretty crucial. And there was a few other holes as well where I made a good, a good pass save. So I don't know. I feel like when you're going backwards, you know, you're not only losing a shot um, you know, of where you were, but I feel like there's a whole momentum shift. Did you feel like did you feel like Jack's wobbles brought the feel back in, or were you just sort of, you know, just riding along your own little race? Honestly, yeah, I, I said it to my my caddy on the first hole that, you know, I, I felt like I was in a, a club championship environment where um, there was lots of members watching, you know, people play their home course, and I just kind of, I don't know, I kind of just got in my own zone, and you know. If you could control what other people would do, that'd be unreal. I'd win every week, but <laughs> you, you, you can't. You unfortunately, can't do that. So, have you had a sense? Has it kind of settled in now? And do you get a sense for what this kind of means to you? You're young, obviously, and it's hopefully all still to come. But to win your national title, have you got to? Have you put that into your own personal perspective? Yeah, I think it's only just sunk in over the past few days. I mean. I remember I watched over that interview that I did with Hazy after the final round and, you know, even still now, you know, it just seems so surreal. Um, but, yeah, this is, this is a very special one and probably my, probably my best one, that's for sure. So we asked Grace Kim the same question just before you came on. Um, it's February 2021. By the end of the year, what's the Louis Dobler story look like? Um, so I'm hoping to go to the US for a few months during the middle of the year um, to play a decent run of amateur events. Um, you know, depending on how all that goes, the idea is to be ready to turn pro when I get home. Um, you know, obviously waiting on tour schools and, you know, further schedules is pretty important. Um, but, yeah, by the end of the year, I want to I wanna make that next leap. Bryden McPherson, sorry, Hazy. Bryden McPherson's in here with us, Louie. You've been down this road. Have you got it for a young Australian who's thinking about taking the leap over to the States and diving into that pool? Have you got any simple advice for him? Uh, my advice is just to be open-minded. There's lo- you'll see lots of stuff when you're over there that you uh, haven't seen before, or you'll be places that you didn't think you'd be, and you just gotta you just gotta drink it in. But it sounds like you do that anyway. Um, and uh, it'll be a good test to uh, put all that adaptivity into into practice because you'll see some stuff that you haven't seen before and played some courses and against some players that you haven't played before um, 
and even if you have been there before, going and playing with the uh, the college players and that is just a bit of a different kettle of fish. Have you heard that advice before, Louis? Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's, it's very valuable, I think. You know, on the other side of the world, everything's a little bit different. There's a lot more, a lot more shiny things over there than what we get over here. So, just trying to yeah, keep, sure um, <laughs> yeah, just trying to yeah. keep, yeah, focus on, on what I want and, yeah. Louis, one thing they've got a lot more of over there is really thick, luscious uh, moustaches. Um, yeah. I think that I think that you might be well advised to perhaps oh. not try another moustache until you sort of you know, oh, okay. you know develop some system whereby <laughs> you know you don't need to you sort of beef it up a bit. Yeah, just beef it up. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. If um, Martin's are listening right now, you know, if they if they can jump on board, that'd be great. But I'll. I'll, I'll, I'll I'll start growing now. I might be ready for, I reckon, November. <laughs> Mate, good luck with everything. It's um, This is a really significant feather in your cap. And, you know, again, as we said to Grace, this is something that your name's now part of Australian golf history and that can never be taken away. It's a really significant um, title and one you sound like you are and you don't need anyone to tell you how proud you should be of winning it. So uh, just on behalf of everybody here, Hayes has already patted you on the back and shaking your hand, but uh, well done, mate. All the best um, with, ever, with whatever comes next. Thanks for joining us on the show. I uh, appreciate it, guys. Thank you for having me. All the best. Louis Dobler, Grace Kim joining us. Winners at Kiyonga. Look, they're bloody good golfers, Andy. Mm. But I hope that what comes across in those two little interviews there is they're bloody good people. Mm. And I think they've got, both got their heads screwed on. So, you know, they're both young, very young. Louis 19, Grace is 20. So, you know, the world's their oyster, obviously, yeah. just to grab another pathetic cliche. But they really um, have a good perspective on what's ahead. They've been – Grant Field's a, a beauty. You know, he's seen it and he, his team up there, Tony Meyer, they've all – you know, painted Louis's picture for him for a long way. Yeah. You know, there were high hopes for Louis three or four years ago, and he won the New Zealand Amateur as a, I think, a 15 year old, you know, and the world's going crazy. Mm. You've got to take the steps. If he wasn't ready to go back then, he's not, you're not ready to go. Mm. But you listen to him now, he's, he's, he's a man re- ready to rumble, I think. And um, Grace the same. Grace has won, you know, Annika Sorenstam tournament. She's won the Youth Olympics. She's got the runs on the board. Mm. These are really quality winners of this event, which is, as I said earlier, that's what we were hoping for. Um, I will, can, I, can I have just a minute to talk about the people who yeah, of course you can. didn't yeah. quite get on the podium? Um, on the men's side, Jack Thompson, who, who I'm sure will you know, make some decisions about turning pro very oh, soon. Well, let's hope he, he becomes the most famous Jack Thompson in the history of Australian sport and pop culture. <laughs> if he is, yeah. it'll be a bloody good ride. It'll be a good ride. My word, <laughs> for him particularly. He, he'll, be, he'll be thinking about that. Day forevermore. We've talked about you know having your name on the trophy. Da, da, da. He was twelve under at a really rock hard Kuyonga after mm. two rounds. Quality, quality golf. Like you know, you don't get to that point if you're not a good player. So, good player, unlucky. Just had one of those days that unraveled a bit at the end. He tried to push hard when Louis turned the heat on him on the seventeenth, and it had a quadruple bogey, a couple of trips to the water. Other than that, it's close. You know, it is what it is. I want to put another name in your black book, Jeffrey Guan who comes from the Australian Golf Club in Sydney, 16, first Australian amateur champion, uh, first Australian amateur championship, jumped into the lead briefly and also had a bogey on 17. He was three or four holes ahead of the the final group. But I'm telling you, he has got shots. He's got the mindset. He's got everything. This kid's going to be something special. Another one just 
Yep. Just keeping them, yep. you know, let him develop. That's fine. Might take a year, might take 10 years, but he's got something special mentally as well as physically. And another name we hadn't heard of, or I hadn't heard of much beforehand, was Michael Hanrahan Smith from Cottesloe in Perth. Um, another one. Yeah. Another one out of the West. And um, he's put his effort into study. And he's 20 years old. He's nearly got his degree in finance, I think. And then he's going to try golf. Well, he, he looked at his name on the leaderboard after round two and got a bit wobbly. Didn't have a great third round. Came back, finished third in the Australian Amateur with a cracking final round. Mm. Really encouraging. Like, I think, you know, you've got to have your moment in the spotlight and in the, you know, off the stage too here where, where you learn. You learn mm. as much from the negative as the positive. Plenty of lessons there. Another one from Perth. Like, they're fantastic in WA. Yeah, they really are. Incredible. Yeah. Kirsten Rudgley was right there the whole way um, on the women's side. You know, just got beaten by red-hot Grace Kim in the end, but she's right there. High in Park from the Gold Coast is something special. 17. She's She's got something. And another 17-year-old from Hobart, Hallie Meeburn, who's the granddaughter of yeah, yeah. Um, Lindy Goggin and niece of Matt Goggin. Uh Wow, 65, uh, sorry, 67, a course record she shot on the second day of the tournament, and then, and then she hung on bravely. She wasn't expected to go right there, but they were the four who went the distance and were in contention the whole way. Mm. Didn't she learn something and make some strides? And, you know, she's carrying a lot of expectation from the uh, from the Apple Isle, I would imagine, you know, the lineage, but she stepped out on her own for the first time and really showed the country something, Hallie Meeburn. Comes from pretty good stock, mm. you know. I think that's important. What you said, Hazy, about learning, because you know, I've always thought you can't you can't do it right until you've done it wrong first, um, because then you don't know what doing it right actually feels like, and that's the benefit for having lots of competition. Because these, I'll say, kids—they're not kids, but I'm old yeah. now, so kids—who <laughs> um, have gone through this. And I hope if some of them are listening to this, maybe they'll take this advice, but they don't have to. They don't need to go practice now. They don't need to go and, like, work on their game for three months. They need to play more tournaments. Mm. So because if you're good enough to get into contention, you're good enough to win. You just have to be more comfortable in contention. And the only way you can practice being in contention is by being in contention. And so, you know, I don't like this whole debrief plan structure thing that you go through, you play an event and then you break it down. You just say, well, I didn't win because I got nervous or because I made this stupid decision at this time or whatever it is. And those are the things that matter. It's not about your statistics. It's like, when did you make good decisions and when did you hit good shots? Because that's what wins tournaments. Is this the voice of experience? This speaking? is the voice of experience yeah. because I've been through... And pain. And pain and frustration um, because you shouldn't have to relive every shot in a golf tournament. You should be able to sum up why you didn't win a golf tournament in a pretty simple sentence like, I made that stupid decision on 15 or I was nervous at the beginning and I bogeyed the first three holes and I lost all my momentum. Mm because maybe I got too aggressive and that's it. And because the solution to that problem is to just, if your problem is to get, is that you get too aggressive when you get nervous is to develop a strategy for being smarter when you choose your shots. It's not about then breaking down your swing and your statistics and all this stuff. It's just, you got to keep playing tournaments. And this is something that I was told when I was in college by just 
like one of the best golf minds for this thing around. Chris Hack, who's been the you know he's been around forever, but you know he would just say he goes, all you got to do is just play, and all you've got to do because that's where you actually you know it's it's like my trainer says this as well. He says if you want to learn to run the hundred meter sprint, you want to train to run the hundred meter sprint. You know what the best thing you can do is run the hundred meter sprint. <laughs> and so if you're wanting to win golf tournaments, yep. The best thing you can do is practice trying to win golf tournaments. You don't win anything on a driving range. No. Do you? You can, you can fine-tune. Yeah, of course. I, 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 it's I, important, I don't, I don't, obviously. I don't, don't want to no, 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 the no, importance no, of no, no, fine-tuning, no, but it needs no. to have a purpose. You know, it needs to be like, I'm doing this today for 45 minutes or an hour and a half or whatever because I'm going to win next week. How many times have you heard people say, I hit it rubbish on a Sunday? I hit yeah. it rubbish on the range. I was hitting it all over the joint. We've heard... We've heard this a hundred people like Clayton would have heard yeah. that a hundred a thousand times. What happened to me at Rosebud on the Sunday? I had one of my buddies cutting for me, and I, I was hitting balls on the range, and I was hitting it so good on the range. And I yeah. said to him, This is not a good thing, right. <laughs> this is not a good sign. Right. I think I deliberately flubbed a couple of four irons <laughs> just to bring me back to reality. And then, uh, but then I hit it, I hit it crap that day yeah. as well. So yeah. it's uh, it's funny how that goes, and mm. the days when you don't feel that good on the range. And then you just go and it's, go there's and no wrong or I think the, the 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 what you've said about going and playing, I think for anybody that's the for a twelve handicapper at Kerr Lewis, that's the best thing to do. It's go Who's and play. That? It's chopper uh, if you're off twelve. <laughs> Nine. Uh, Sorry, mate. No, it's all good. Um I just, that what you just said is absolutely should be resonant for Jack Thompson because he, he was the one mm. you know, you, you, he would have gone with any pro in the world the first two rounds, mm. no doubt. Like mm-hmm. 1,200, a bouncy Kuyonga is awesome yeah. golf. And he just thought about it too much. What you just said, like if he can analyse when the nerves kicked in and how he reacted, it's better than do I need to, you know, take my backswing more inside or yeah. something like that well, because well, yeah. it was perfect 24 hours ago. Don't worry about that. That's exactly right. Game does not change in a couple of days. Yeah. And so – all you have to do is compare what the second 36 holes was like with the first 36 holes and play a little spot the difference mm. and figure out why it was different. And just just to reiterate, he, he was outstanding. Mm. <laughs> well, you can't do that without being outstanding, I don't yeah. think. Yeah, yeah spot on. A, and there's, yep. What I'm trying to say here is there's four or five people who played really, really brilliant golf. Like yeah. It was, yeah. fits in anywhere in the world, golf. A lot of guys play great golf in tournaments and don't, and don't win. Mm-hmm. You can play a lot of good golf and not win. You can shoot six hundred, six hundred, and not even I mean, get, in a, get a start in a tournament. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a there's an element of luck involved in winning. Yeah. every single time. Yep. you know yep. that's the reason why when Tiger was so much better than everyone else, he still only won one of every three tournaments. That's what my mates tell me when they give me the the dollar at the end of the round at Kerr Lewis. Sometimes there's you get a lucky. Fair element of luck in that. <laughs> <isn't>? <laughs> right. right, let's get a break out of the way. We'll wrap up the show on the other side of this. Let's go back inside the ropes with Golf Australia. Just about done and dusted uh, for another week. Great to have Brian McPherson in the studio with Mike Wan. Yeah, is now that was. Does that make him the second most important executive in the on the USGA behind the boss? Is he is the CEO now? Is he? Uh, he's the, he's the, the he's the most important behind. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no commissioners. More important than him, he's the one. He's the one. So what we saw what he did with the LPGA. He, I think, he had a seismic influence on what he was able to do, um, particularly from an opening the tour up to players from other parts of the world, particularly non English speaking parts of the world, and embracing them. I think 
he had a bit of a battle on his hands, I think, from a tour perspective and maybe an American media perspective when he took over about 10 or 11 years ago. Is the PGA a tough enough to crack? Is the two, can he, is he going to be able to make, if we think there's some changes that need to be made, is he going to find it a bit more difficult to do that on a tour that's as powerful as the PGA Tour? Well, he's with the USGA. Oh, sorry, beg your pardon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yep. There's uh, several different ways here. And he's left the, the LPGA Tour put out its new schedule today, being Thursday. Yeah. Um, and it's as deep as it's ever been, more money, and that's that's his legacy there. Yeah. You know, the tour's never been stronger. More television hours, more rec- brand recognition, all that sort of stuff, more sponsors. Um, in getting this job today, I was reading about his background a little bit more, and it, part of it includes working with um, sporting goods producers, and he's worked with well, Taylor Made. And this is what I'm. This is sort of what I'm getting in yeah. terms of the battle that's going to be waged now in the coming months slash years because of the equipment review that's been done by the USGA and the RNA. This is is he is he going to be able? How's he going to go navigating his way through this? So as soon as the vacancy was created at the top of the USGA. Mm. What I'm reading today from the um, reports in the American Gulf media are that all the power brokers basically said that job needs to be Mike Wands right, okay. because he's the one who can bring everyone together here. All the equipment producers that he's worked for, he spoke to um, Jay Monaghan about it. He, you know, he spoke to the LET, he spoke to the RNA, he spoke to the equipment manufacturers and they're all saying, you have to take this job. Mm. And the and the USGA said, well, this is the guy we need. If we don't get him, it's we're sort of uh, amiss in our um, attempts, you know, to, to write golf. And the first questions he was asked today, we need, what are you going to do about the ball distances? Yep. That was the first thing that was what asked. He, what did he say? Well, he, he just said, we have to, we have to do it. The way he's brought the LPJ together is, is collaboratively. Yep. But he's the only person who's got the phone numbers in his phone of every person that, that needs collaboration. Yep. I, I, I'm a big fan of Mike Wan, and I, I think this is the first step to some rational decisions because he can actually get Mr. Titleist, Mr. TaylorMade, Mrs. L.E.T., whoever, in the room at the one time and get them to talk. That's unachievable previously. How big a challenge has he got on his hands, do you think? I mean, it's massive. He's, yep. fighting, he's fighting free market capitalism. So, <laughs> I mean, that's a, that's a huge... There's, until they can fix the... Until they can make it in the company's best interest to produce stuff that is more in line with uh, the sort of traditionalism of the game, then is like that, that's what they have to change. Yep. Because it, it, so long as the companies have an incentive to make things the way that they are, then they will make things the way that they are. What about you? Where do you sit on it? There was so much commentary last week. Yeah. So, I, the... so I, I wrote a thing for my little blog, Substack thing. I do. It's called Pure Golf. Uh, it's puregolf.substack.com. So you can sign up. Comes into your email. It's very good. Once every once a week. It's just oh, sort of some it. of my some of my thoughts. And I can say it's in puregolf dot puregolf dot substack s u b s t a c k dot com. How come I didn't know about this? Uh, well, it's fairly new, but okay. there's a, there's a little bit of content in there you can enjoy yourself with. Yep. But uh, I wrote something about it where I think it should be collaborative in the sense that I think that the cat's out of the bag as far as distance is gone. I don't think that the idea to ask pros to hit it. 
20% shorter is, I don't think it's necessary. I, I just think that the only thing you really need to restore is you need to restore the risk of hitting driver again. So because driver is now, the longer the club gets, the more risky it should get hitting it. I think we all know yep. that. That's why it's yep. better to hit eight iron into a green than a four iron. So driver at the moment is not the most risky club because it's the easiest club to hit in your bag, maybe aside from a love wedge. And that is what is actually ruining the game. It's not necessarily because the ball goes so much further, in my opinion. I think it's because guys can swing it so much harder because it's so forgiving. Mm. And that in built in there is a credit to all the equipment mm. companies nice because they've yeah. managed the technology they've managed to create and the enjoyment level that they now supply to the golfing public is much, much higher than it used to be. Mm. So they should be commended for that. Mm -hmm. But there should be something with the pros where it's like, I have no problem with Bryson DeChambeau hitting it 340 yards or I don't have a problem with that. I have a problem with the fact that he can hit it pretty straight doing that without with more things than just his skill. So he, his, his offline shots should go 60 yards offline. <laughs> and then that's when you start coming in with some longer rough and some trees and things like that. And it actually starts to become a risk to hit driver again. I think that sorts things out and brings things back into line. There's some food for thought there, I reckon. It's good, it's good yeah, thinking. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a different way of um, appeasing certain segments yeah. of the market who don't want to be told that you can't do what they're currently doing. Well, yeah, because if you only hit the ball 250 yards, you won't see a big difference because it's exponential. Mm. So you'll only see a difference in how far offline it goes when you're hitting it 280, mm. 90 yards plus. Uh, because it's spin, so spin is exponential. So, like, the the further the ball goes, the further offline it goes. So if you if you have it, if you have the stabilizing technology and the golf balls regulated, yep. not the distance, then that is when you start to pure shots still go dead straight, but you're offline left and right. Like if anyone's ever hit a persimmon with a bladder and you hit it off the toe, just goes you know, barely off the ground and straight left. Yes. I'd like to see that miss hit come back for a toe strike. That's what I'd like to see. Mm. And I'd like to see the fizzing cut that goes miles offline. Or oh, come with me, Bryden. <laughs> Hazy manages to do it with modern he, tech. He doesn't even, uh, he's talking himself down there. Um, we're off to Riviera this week. Uh, Scotty defending. So we'll wait and see how it goes there. Jones, Davis, Smith, Leishman, turning it up alongside. Dustin Johnson, I know we used to think that Tiger owned this joint. DJ's made it his own plaything in the last... You've seen his numbers around this joint in the last last seven years. He's 67 under, and he's finished second, tied second, fourth, first, tied 16th, rubbish, tied nine, um, tenth, tied tenth. It's a fair record around here. That's yeah. if you're not that we're encouraging people to gamble. <laughs> Hazy, but if you're we having to look, if not. you're looking at a little punt, doesn't sound like you'd get much for it. No, you might not. You <laughs> might not. And the Corn Ferry Tour resumes. So, mm -hmm. so many of um, the this great. Is, these are the stories that a lot of us are particularly interested in. Yeah, Brett Coletta, Brett Druitt, Mark Hensby, mm. Jamie Arnold, Curtis Luck, and Ryan Ruffles all back. I just, I just want to give a shout out to Curtis Luck's playing partner here. The has to be an Irish guy, Andy. I think Jose de Jesus Rodriguez. I think it has to be Irish, doesn't it? Hey, don't tell me he's got an Irish flag alongside him. <laughs> no, no, I'm not one of those who have married an Irish girl and become an Irishman. What a great Well, who's Rory, Rory Sabatini's flying? What flag these days? The Serbian flag or something, isn't he? Serbian, yeah. Croatian or, yeah, one of yeah, them. Yeah. Yep. 
There you go. So It's probably changed by now. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> there you go, Hazy. <laughs> Silly things have happened. Uh, anything else before we get out of here? Rory McIlroy, good luck to him. Chairman of the PGA um, Tour Players Advisory Board. Why would he want to take that on? Maybe he's bored. Right. He might well be. I want to give out. Or um, if he's not bored now, he's about to be. <laughs> I do want to give a shout out, Andy, to uh, the family of Colin Fuller up in the Northern Territory. Um, a, a great man for the Territory itself, but golf up there. He was a, um, chiefly responsible for golf Northern Territory being the way it is right yeah, now. Yeah. Uh, he passed away during the week. So our sympathies to um, Colin Fuller's family. Yeah, he, he. Um, that's it. Oh, yeah, go on. Hang on. Sorry, I forgot a tournament entirely. Um, the Murray Open was played at Corowa the last couple of days. The inaugural one, you get a, you get a win here. It's a part of the regional series to get into the New South Wales Open. Yep. So I want to give a shout to Josh Armstrong, who is a very talented amateur for quite a while, but um, perhaps didn't have the end to his amateur career that he wanted. Turned pro recently and saluted with a couple of really good rounds, including a course record 63 on one of the combinations. I'm not sure which combination of the 27 they played there at Corowa, but 63, uh, actually it was 60, yeah, 63 it was, which was fantastic, 10 under. Mm. So that's good going. Mm-hmm. He backed it up, won the next day. And on the same day he did that, his uh, girlfriend, Doey Choi, who turned pro this week, having played at the amateur last week, also shot a course record. So two course records in the one House. Absolutely outstanding. There you go. Um, We've mentioned a couple of West Australians on the way through, specifically for our West Australian audience uh, who tune into Inside the Ropes every week. That special shout-out to Curtis Luck. I think there's going to be a lot of people who are going to look at this year as a – certainly far from being a make-or-break year for Curtis, but a year where I think a lot of Australian golf fans, particularly those over in the West, who have been following, you know, the the ascent of Curtis Luck with a great deal of interest, I think – a lot of us are fingers crossed that 2021 might be a year where all of that unique Curtis Luck talent that he has um, reveals itself a bit more consistently and he finds his way to the pointy end of tournaments more often than not. He's absolutely the beacon for Michael Hanrahan-Smith, who I mentioned before from his yep. own club at yep. Cottesloe. Yep. And, and I I don't think they're necessarily the same people, but I do think that Curtis Luck and Bryden McPherson sort of think about golf a little differently than most other people, which I fully commend. I'm not sure how much you know, Curtis. I do. He's a little younger than I, but uh, I have spent some time with him, and he's uh, he's smart and he knows his own thing. Mm. That's, that's that's the first battle. So I think we're encouraged. That's going to be the takeaway. I think yeah. tonight, listening to your story and where you're finding yourself. Where do you? So you're off to um, Bonnie Doon. Yeah. So yep. uh, gratefully with my win at Moona, I got now winners category on. The Oz PGA, so that's fantastic. Uh, so I'll be going next Sunday up to Bonnie Doon for the TPS Sydney and then up to Queensland Open and a week off and then New South Wales Open and then hunkering down for winter. Well, keep golf. rolling, mate. It's good to see you playing good golf and it's good to see you here and mm. it's good to see you with a smile on your face. And may it um, continue for a long time to come. And good luck with the the bride and the pooches and their yes. uh, imminent arri- hopefully imminent arrival. Yeah, that's All right. the best. And much. bringing good the beret you. back. Oh yes, mm. it's not the beret. Oh. It's well, not exactly a beret. You know, it's you know, there's there's some decisions here to be made as far as sponsors and things go. So I think you'll probably see me at TPS wearing one of the Titleist hats. I think. Ah, oh, sellout. That's uh, it's sell a bit. Yeah, it's sell an absolute sellout. Yeah. <laughs> and I will not, I will not deny it. Get him to stick Titleist <laughs> on the back of that, the Armstrong cap or whatever day, it is we call when, it. You know, when uh, Cushnet, if they're listening, when they start making the flat caps, the Ivy caps, I will be the first one. 
Good man. To wear them. All the best. Bryce, uh, Bryden McPherson joining us in the studio. Uh, good to see you back. Thanks, Tanned mate. and healthy and happy after you strolling the green manicured carpets of Kuyonga. All the best. Thank we'll you, See you next sir. week. Thanks Appreciate for tuning in, folks. It's been Inside the Ropes, episode number 195. Back next week to do it all again.